Well, I invite you to turn to the other side of your bulletin. You'll find our scripture text for this afternoon. We'll be considering together Luke chapter 12 as we continue on in our study of Luke's gospel. And we'll consider together verses 32 to 40. Luke 12, 32 to 40. In verse 32, Jesus says this, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this. That if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Well, our passage this afternoon continues on in a series of discourses that Jesus has been giving. uh, Particularly one discourse uh, of which we've considered the, the previous two weeks. Uh, Jesus is giving a a, a lengthy discourse, uh, and the central problem uh, that he's seeking to address, or that has brought about this discourse that Jesus is giving, uh, is, as as Matthew Henry describes, the inordinate affection to the wealth of this world. Uh, That's the central concern that Jesus has, especially as we see in verse 13 of Luke chapter 12, uh, in which a man comes asking him to judge about his inheritance. And this begins Jesus to speak about uh, how we as Christians are to live in this present world. His central concern is to teach us what is to be our outlook and approach as Christians as we live in this present world. Uh, So how are we to engage with worldly goods and with all the things around us? Uh, How are we to live and think about our lives now in the world in which we live? And the point which Jesus has been seeking to emphasize, and which he will continue to emphasize in our passage this afternoon, is that his people, he tells us, are to be a heavenly-minded people. Our outlook and approach, he tells us, is to be one that is eternal. It is to be a heavenly perspective, and have heavenly desires which govern our whole lives now. He said this very clearly at the end of our passage last week in verse 31, in which he brings in mind the idea of the kingdom, uh, that the kingdom of God is representative of this eternal perspective, uh, this heavenly-mindedness which we are to have. And so in our verses this afternoon, as we continue on this theme, I'd like for us to see two points, uh, or two calls to action which Jesus gives to us. Uh, First, he tells us that we are, as his followers, to be a people who seek for the kingdom. We are to be seekers. And secondly, in verses 35 to 40, he teaches us that we are to be a waiting people. We are to be a seeking and a waiting people. We would like to look at both of these in turn. 
So our first point this afternoon in verses 32 to 40 we find is that Jesus teaches us that we are to be those who seek for the kingdom. Who seek for his kingdom. Uh, He states this very clearly in verse 31 at the end of our passage last week. uh, As he's uh, condemned and spoken against the, the sinful anxiety which we so often have about our worldly goods. Uh, what we will eat tomorrow, what we will wear, uh, our basic necessities, and even more. He teaches us instead not to seek for these things as the nations do, but in verse 31, to seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. In verses 32 to 34, we find Jesus giving to us a a further explanation, uh, a further exhortation, as it were, uh, to seek this kingdom, uh, to follow his commandments in verse 31. And if we were to summarize all of Jesus' exhortations here, the central concern that he has, I think he summarizes for us in verse 34. Uh, Look again at verse 34. he, He summarizes all of what he has said and states there that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He is teaching us that as those who seek the kingdom of God, we are to be those who have our hearts set on a heavenly treasure. Uh, we, are those who, who, we are to be those who have our cares, our concerns, uh, our afflict, affections, our desires, our hopes, our joy, all to be set on Christ and his kingdom. A kingdom which Jesus tells us in his gospels is not of this world. A heavenly kingdom. And so we are to set our hearts upon it. Matthew Henry, I think, helpfully did, uh, summarizes Jesus' point here in which he says that we are to be those who set our hearts upon the other world and our expectations from that world. See, this is Jesus' central point. We are to be a heavenly-minded people, even a heavenly-hearted people, whose desires are set upon Christ. Now, certainly, this this kingdom which Jesus speaks of is something which we experience now as Christians uh, in this life. Uh, It's not entirely future. Uh, It's a kingdom which we have now. We are members of his church, uh, by faith united to Christ, and taste of his blessings and riches of grace that he gives to us. And yet, this kingdom which we are to seek ultimately is something that will be brought to completion and fullness, Jesus teaches us, at the day of Christ, the day in which he will return. And so we, have, we are to have our hearts set upon that future kingdom, the fullness of that future kingdom. But we might ask, what does this mean very practically? Uh, what does it mean for us to seek his kingdom? Uh, what exactly is Jesus calling us to? And in verse 33, he gives us a very simple and very clear commandment. In verse 33, he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. He goes on, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Well, first he calls us as his followers to sell your possessions and give to the needy. And certainly, I think often we, we might go right beyond what it seems at a face value uh, to go to sort of the, the heart motive that Jesus is, is speaking about. Uh, and certainly that we ought to consider those things that we, I think that is the central point in which Jesus is seeking to make. Uh, but we, we ought not to gloss over the immediate implications of what Jesus calls us to. 
It may be the case that for some of us, we, we do need to sell our possessions and give to the needy. Uh, we do need to think with greater care about how we use the things that we have, the things that we've been given by God. What ends do we use them for? How do we enjoy them? But ultimately, I think Jesus' statement here speaks to the heart, the outlook, and the approach which we as Christians are to have in this life. Uh, those who prize Christ and his kingdom and who seek after those things are those who view their possessions in a very different way than the rest of the world around us. I think Jesus is not here advocating so much that his followers are uh, to be marked by poverty, uh, to have no possessions, as, as, as some in the history of the church have thought. But what Jesus is here commending for us is that we are to be those people who, who recognize that our life is about knowing God and enjoying communion with him. And when we recognize that our life is about those things, that governs all of the rest of the ways that we view and utilize our possessions. I think we see this very clearly in the example and life of the early church in the New Testament. Uh, we find uh, Jesus' statement here uh, exemplified in, in Acts in the early church. Uh, consistently we find, uh, stated in Acts, that they were uh, eagerly uh, selling their possessions and giving for the goods and needs of other Christians in the church. The early church was a, was a people who followed this commandment, who sought to use their gifts their graces, their possessions for the good of Christ's kingdom. See, this is ultimately what Jesus is calling us to. But we might ask ourselves, uh, why should we view our earthly possessions in this way? Uh, why, why should we view it this way? Why should we think about and utilize the things that we have now in this way? And Jesus teaches us in verse 33, it is because there is a greater treasure which we are to seek for. There, there is something greater to be prized than the things of this earth. Now, this is exactly the distinction that he makes in verse 33. You see, he presents before us two different kinds of treasures. There is an earthly treasure, and there is a heavenly treasure. Uh, there is a way to be rich towards man, Jesus says, but also a way to be rich towards God. Certainly, we know of the earthly treasure the possessions we can have, of gold, the abundance of wealth, cars, clothes, an abundance of possessions. But Jesus is here pointing us to a heavenly treasure, uh, to the riches of grace which God gives to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 1, it tells us that those who follow and who are united to Christ by faith, that he has given to us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. See, Jesus is pointing our attention not to the earthly possessions that we have, but to the eternal rewards of his riches that he gives to those who walk faithfully in the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, we, we might ask ourselves, uh, why should we not seek earthly wealth and earthly treasure? Uh, what is the great difference between these two things, between the earthly treasures and this heavenly treasure? And certainly there is a difference and distinction of quality. Uh, the, the heavenly treasure which Christ gives to us is of immense quality, of greater quality than any riches that we can have on this earth. But particularly in verse 3, Jesus identifies that the earthly wealth and possessions that we can have are fleeting and temporal in character. 
Notice the way that he describes it. He says that we ought to seek money bags that do not grow old. So he says that these earthly treasures grow old. They fail. Uh, They are things that thieves can approach and steal, that moth can destroy. So you see the the ways that Jesus is describing this earthly treasure. First, it is fleeting in this life. Uh, We we know this. We can see this. Uh, we, we, We see this so often in the world of sports. There are innumerable examples of former athletes Uh, NBA players, NFL players who who made uh, immense amounts of money, millions of dollars when they played, and yet after they retire, they go broke. They lose all the wealth that they have. A particular example of this uh, might might be the uh, basketball player Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, During his playing career, there was a a story in which, a a time in which he uh, was married, and yet he married a woman who had ulterior motives and was simply seeking to steal all of his money. And it exemplified in a very powerful way that the immense wealth that we can gather on this earth, even in this life, is fleeting. It does not last. But ultimately, Jesus tells us as well that it does not last for eternity. Earthly wealth and earthly possessions are not eternal. Eventually we die, Jesus says, and the treasure is left to someone else. But the point to which he seeks to draw us is the heavenly treasure which we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. It's unchanging. It can never fail, as he says. It it does not grow old. No thief can take it from us, and no moth can destroy destroy it. Perhaps the best explanation of this uh, we could find in the New Testament is in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 3 and 4. Peter describes uh, the grace of the gospel in this way. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven. See, this is what Jesus would have us to see. This is what Jesus would have us to prize and to seek after. Not that which grows old and which fails, but that which is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. Christ and his kingdom, Jesus tells us, is what we are to be concerned about and where our hope and joy is to be found. And very clearly in verse 34, he shows us that we cannot have both of these things. Our treasure cannot be in the possessions that we have and still have hearts set upon the Lord Jesus Christ. If we have our treasure and if our values are based upon the things that we have on this earth, our heart is set upon those things, he says. I think we see this very clearly in the Gospels in the example of the rich young ruler. Uh, You remember in the Gospel accounts that this young man comes to Jesus asking what he might do to come and enter into the kingdom of heaven. uh, Claiming that he has kept all of God's commandments, that he's, he's done all the righteous things that he can do. And Jesus there tells him to sell his possessions and to follow him. And the text tells us that this rich young ruler left sad because he loved his possessions. But perhaps the the better example for us, the positive example of what Christ is calling us to, could be found in the life of Moses. Uh, You'll remember in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, that great chapter describing all the the heroes of faith in the Old Testament, that it speaks of Moses, uh, speaks of Moses as uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 
uh, in Pharaoh's house, enjoying all of the, the wealth and riches of Egypt's kingdom. And yet it says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater treasure than all the wealth of this earth. Why? Because he was looking to the reward. See, he, he had all the treasures of this world before him and at his disposal. Uh, he was able to experience all the things that the, the greatest kingdom on the earth at that time had to offer. And yet he looked to the reward. He considered the treasure of the Lord Jesus Christ to be greater than all the wealth of this earth. And so Jesus calls us, like Moses, to be those who seek Christ, who seek to be found uh, bearing fruit in him, who seek after his graces, for these are greater than all the things that we can be given on earth. And notice, as we go about this work of seeking his kingdom, the great promise that he gives to us in verse 32. We saw this last week. There he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is of the Father's love and delight, he says, to give his children the kingdom of God. And so notice, as we go about this work of seeking the kingdom, of denying the, the good things that are so often immediately around us, uh, of denying the, the good life that the world tells us to live, he gives to us a great promise that what we seek after, we will find. That what we give up seemingly on this earth, we will receive back in the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom that we seek is not something that we might receive. It's not something that we are fairly confident we will receive. But no, Jesus tells us, it is a promise, a sure promise for our souls that that which we seek, we will find. That that which we desire will be given to us of the Father's love and good pleasure. And so, we must be those who seek His kingdom and a heavenly treasure. That is our first point that we find in verses 32 to 34, which Jesus teaches us. But notice in verse 35, we, we find a subsequent point related to this. Now that Jesus in verses 35 to 40 teaches us to be not just a people who seek His kingdom, but to be a people who wait for the kingdom, who are awaiting His kingdom to come. See, while we are members of Christ's kingdom now, while we enjoy all of the, the privileges and benefits of Christ and have a, a foretaste of this heavenly treasure which Christ gives to us, uh, we, we know that this is ultimately something which will come in its fullness at the day of Christ. That which we seek after, we are still awaiting. It will come, Jesus says. And this is exactly what Jesus speaks of in verse 40. Uh, look again at verse 40. Uh, where there he says, he reminds us that the Son of Man is coming. That we must be ready for the Son of Man is coming. Uh, there is a day in which Christ will return and bring about the fullness of this kingdom and the fullness of our treasure. So how are we, as Christians now, to live waiting for the fullness of Christ's kingdom? Uh, waiting for the fullness of the treasure which he will give to us. Well, notice in verses 35 and 36, Jesus gives to us three pictures for the Christian life, uh, three illustrations for how we ought to live now. First, he says, we ought to be those who are dressed for action, or very literally in the Greek, he says, we ought to be those who let your loins stay girded, who are ready to go, ready for action. We're ready to be those, he says in verse 35, who have our lamps burning, 
verse 36, that we are to be like men who wait for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So in these three images, what what is Jesus teaching us? What is the picture that he's giving to us? Well, ultimately, he is commanding us to be a people who are ready, watchful, alert uh, for the coming of Christ, focused on that day which will come. This is what is expressed in all three of these pictures. We ought to be those who are dressed for action, ready and waiting the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think the example, the illustration, even the picture that Jesus would have us to have in mind as we think about these things comes from the Old Testament. Uh, The language ought to bring to mind uh, the book of Exodus and the, the life of the Israelites and slavery there. And as Jesus brought them, as God brought them out of Egypt and out of slavery in Exodus chapter 12, he instituted the Passover. Uh, this feast that they were to eat the night before they would be brought out of slavery in Egypt. And remember the way that God tells them they are to eat this meal. They are to eat it in the way that Jesus describes here. They eat their meal dressed and ready to go. With their, go- their loins girded, as it were. With their clothes on. Their shoes ready to go. Their staffs, things packed. They were to eat this meal with eager anticipation of the redemption that God would bring for them through the Passover. You see, this is to be the example for us as we live our daily lives as Christians. That coming day which Christ speaks of ought to influence the way we live now. We ought to be those who are obedient and faithful to Christ, walking in his commandments, uh, devoting ourselves to his word and worship because we're watchful, because we're focused on the coming of the kingdom. But I think Jesus emphasizes this for us all the more in verse 40 by telling us that this coming of the Son of Man will happen at an hour that you do not expect. It's a time that is unknown to us. He does not give us a date on the calendar, a time in history in which we're to expect his coming. In fact, in the rest of the New Testament, it's described in this way as well. In 1 Thessalonians and 2 Peter, both speak of the day of the Lord coming like a thief in the night. It comes unexpected. It comes at a time that we do not expect, that we are not ready for. Jesus does not give to us a date on the calendar in which this will happen. And so just as the, the certainty of the promise in verse 32 that the kingdom will be given to us gives us hope and encouragement, so the fact that this day is hidden calls us to alertness and to spiritual zeal and faithfulness. For, Jesus says, we, we do not know when he will return. We do not know when that day is. You may have experienced at some point as a student in school uh, when you're given the schedule for the semester uh, and you know when a day or test is to come uh, far off at the end of the semester, uh, you tend to not have a sense of urgency until about two weeks before that assignment is due or even days before that assignment is due. We do not have a sense of urgency so often when we know when something is coming. We think we can put things off until that day comes. Of course, the contrast would be knowing that you have a pop quiz or a pop exam that could come up at any time. And so you have to be ready. You have to be alert. Uh, that a test might come at any moment. You have to be ready to take the test. 
See, Jesus is teaching us this very thing in our passage. The fact that he does not tell us when this day will come means that we must be characterized by seriousness, uh, by faithfulness, by zeal and earnestness because of this coming day. And notice this is exactly the way that Jesus describes his servants, uh, the example of the servants in verses 36, 37, and 38. Notice, he says that they are those who are awake, waiting for the master, waiting even to the the second watch or the third watch for the master to return. So the question for us this afternoon is, are we spiritually asleep? Are we spiritually asleep? Or are we dressed for action uh, with our lamps on, waiting at the door, uh, living lives faithfully and zealously for the Lord Jesus Christ? And even as we do so, we find in verse 37 the precious promise that Christ tells us that those whom he finds awake when he will return, he will bless. That as a master brings in his servants, has them recline at table, and and serves them, so when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he will bless us with every spiritual blessing in him, with all of the fullness of the treasure which we are awaiting. And so are we those who are dressed for action? Are we those who are focused upon the coming of the Lord? Those who have our hearts set on Christ and seeking his kingdom? May, may, by God's grace, may we be those who strive to be these kinds of people in the Lord Jesus Christ as we pray together. Our God in heaven, we do give thanks, O Lord, for your precious promises for your warnings and exhortations in your scriptures. No, Lord, we ask that we would be a people who receive your word by faith, who tremble at your threatenings, who receive your promises with joy, and walk according to your commandments. For all this, O Lord, we need the power of your Holy Spirit. So we do pray for this all. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.